Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places a dive in scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 376 is recorded live. I try to figure out what the date is. Live July 26, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here. Excellent. And I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have a, a few starting to roll in. I can see we have Eric and uh, we have Derek earlier. And I saw Karen kind of floating in a little bit and uh, not showing up right now. But as the show goes on, we'll have more people pop in. If you like to listen along, uh, we are on Discord. Uh, we have links on the website, www.scubaobsessed.com, and record live approximately 9.30 every Thursday, unless otherwise noted. So we, we do about 40, 40 to 45 episodes a season or a year, uh, and we are in our ninth year of recording this show. Looks like we have quite a full news cycle this week with a lot of updates. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. The first article that we have on our list is body of missing diver 20 recovered at Eagle's nest. And that looks like it happened. Is that this? That was that last Thursday. Yeah, it was last Thursday. Diver identified as 20 year old Said Madrin disappeared Wednesday evening. According to Hernando County Sheriff's Department, a 911 call came in just before 7 p.m. Uh, when he failed to surface at Eagle's Nest Underwater Cave. Search took place Wednesday evening until suspended from darkness. He was part of a group of six divers at Cave, uh, Eagle's Nest Cave dive spot in the Chassahuziki. Is that Chassahuzika? Wildlife Management Area property near Wikiwichi. group has been doing free dives for several hours at Eagle's Nest, a vast, cave, a vast system of caves. Some deep as 200, 300 feet is a popular spot for caves and free divers. During a free divers, uh, during a free dive, divers commonly wear wetsuits, mass fins, weight belts, but then do not utilize air tanks. Official said during the last dive, he told friends he was going to attempt a mixed breathe breath dive to see how long he could stay submerged. Descended 80 feet with another another diver who returned to the surface. When he did not surface, the other divers began to search for him. When they could not locate him, they called 911. Authority said a team of civilian divers were able to locate and retrieve the body. His body was covered in 150 feet of water. Uh, they say 13 divers have dive, died in Eagle's Nest case system since 1981. Deputies say he was from Morocco and recently moved to Orlando area to live with his aunt and go to college. The investigation is ongoing. Uh, people from all over the world travel to Eagle's Nest. Divers who explore the area often say you can feel comfortable there if you know what you're doing. It's a beautiful cave system, said Bill Ostrich. Ostrich has been diving for 30 years, has undertaken several trips to Eagle's Nest. The nest is a huge cave, huge, huge rooms. You can dive a semi down some of these passageways. Ostrich said regular scuba diving in the area can be dangerous at the nest. You're diving in 300 feet of depth, so that's 10 atmospheres of pressure. So your gas is going to be 10 times, you're going to go, and you go, you're going to go through your gas 10 times as fast as it does in the surface. 
and you add that to the pucker factor, your air is going to go pretty quick. He said free diving, which doesn't use scuba gear, is dangerous too, whether it's done here or in other deep water areas. As you come back up, shallow water blackout where they have no warning, just pass out. I've seen footage on free divers, spear fishermen stuff that have come up and blacked out right in front of their friend. They dragged them back to the boat, and he's not even aware of what happened. We did reach out to Florida Fish and Wildlife, which oversees the uh, wildlife management area where Eagle's Nest is located, to see if there's any changes being made in the area. A spokesman told us right now they do not have enough information to comment. And this was uh, reported on the Bay News 9 station near Tampa. Since that's a free dive, I'm not quite sure how that should or would impact cave diving, but scuba. Well, he said he was doing a mixed gas right? no mac mac max for you know maximum inhalation aspect i guess i'm not following he didn't say mix oh he said max maximum maximum breath hole ah oh yeah that's hmm. is it normal to do free diving in these cave systems if it's a straight down shot it's like get off the platform at bon Terre. that's a pretty long drop right down to the yeah yeah so it's uh I guess if you want some clear, fresh water, that's a, a good location as any to, to visit. I just wasn't familiar that free divers were using the cave systems. I'm reading back through it. Uh, group have been doing free dives. Yeah, okay. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, that's almost what it sounds like. Uh, I mean, you're going, he, he, especially when he says, I'm going for my max, then mm-hmm. he just did it a moment too long. Unfortunate. Well, you can do shallow water blackout. In your swimming pool, trying to do a breath hole from one end of the pool to the other end. Back. It's not unusual. Yeah, I, I believe that. Okay, and then this uh, next one, and I didn't get a chance to watch the video, but the pictures are pretty striking. And this is a wave of trash on the beach in the Dominican Republic. Dense garbage carpet forms with each heavy rain. Uh, outstanding images of surface of trash as far as the eye can see in the beaches of San Domingo in the Dominican Republic. Personnel from the Dominican Ministry of Public Works continue to clean up the litter. Parlay for the Ocean shared a video which has gone viral showing waves of trash on the water uh, in that area. According to people associated with the organization, this happens every time rain hits the area. They said Friday, July 20th, they collected 30 tons of plastic in three days and will continue cleaning it up. Most of the plastic will go landfill, but some of it is being uh, reused into recycled products. And all 520 tons of trash have been collected from the beach over a period of nine days. It is estimated by the end of the effort, some 950 tons of trash will have been collected from the beaches. That is unbelievable. I have got to believe that surface trash that's washed to the sea during the heavy rains and when the creeks and rivers flood and take the trash out to sea. That's the only logical way that could, which in fact, it's not a pollution of the ocean, like we've been talking about. Plastics accumulating, but right from the shore. That's what it sounds like to me. When I originally saw the article, that's the same thing I was thinking. I'm I'm picturing that the area has a lot of you know gutters, creeks, tributaries, ravines, and people are just you know that's their waste practice for whatever reason, and they just throw everything in there. And then when you get enough, you know, it's kind of like you know you clog in a bottle. Uh, You get some heavy rains, and it just flushes all that out. And it just happens to be collecting on the beaches. How much of it doesn't go just to the beach and ends up in the ocean? This is pretty sad. 
Yeah, if you don't have a good sanitary system and waste disposal system, and on the island, I'm not sure what they have, and you keep hearing about the issues they have just from the electricity aspect of not having electricity, you know, after the hurricane and stuff. Yeah. One makes you think that got to be, you know, a land pollution going to sea. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is right next to Haiti, and you know that as bad as the Dominican Republic is, the Haiti is worse. Well, obviously, the solution is your next item. Yes. And I apologize to the chat room. I'm, I'm bad about pasting these links in there. Easiest way to get the links while, while I'm thinking of it is uh, become a Patreon member. And other than an occasional miss uh, for a variety of reasons, normally internet connection, uh, we will have the show notes available early on Patreon, and then you can follow along that way. This next article was uh, posted in EcoWatch, and I've seen this in a variety of places showing it, and it's a giant wind-and-wave-powered Pac-Man to gobble up uh, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. The Ocean Cleanup is preparing to launch its highly anticipated cleanup system in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, but the comp, uh, contraption's final design looks slightly different from the original version. The nonprofit organization founded by 23-year-old Dutch inventor and entrepreneur Boyet Slat aimed to rid the world ocean of plastic. Five years ago, the then-teenager made headlines and inspired... Uh, folks around the world for his ocean plastic capturing concept. Early prototypes, for instance, featured uh, an anchored platform and a V-shaped floating barrier that passively corrals plastic with wind and ocean currents. But during testing, they realized they underestimated the impact of wind, waves, and currents on the system. After years of research and development, the Ocean Cleanup team announced the redesign of the system that features a 600-meter long floating pipe with a tapered three-meter skirt attached underneath to catch debris. The the, uh, sea anchors were also eliminated entirely. Flat described the new anchor-free system set for deployment in the Great Garbage Patch in two months as a giant wind-and-wave-powered Pac-Man. Both plastic and the system are being carried by currents, the nonprofit explains. However, the wind and waves propel only the system as the floater sits just above the water surface. While the plastic is primarily just beneath it, the system thus moves faster than the plastic, allowing plastic to be captured. Contraption is also fitted with solar-powered lights, anti-collision system sensors and cameras, satellite antenna meaning communicate its position at all times. The captured plastic will be collected by vessels every few months. The debris will then be sorted for recycling or upcycling to create new products. Although it's a fair chance it won't be the last iteration of the ocean cleanup technology, we have a high confidence that this addresses the stability issues and that this is the design responsible for collecting the first plastic from the Great Garbage Patch later this year. So another article they I think mentioned. It's interesting to, Go ahead. I think it's interesting that uh, the giant Pacific Garbage Patch is now twice the size of the state. They were saying it's uh, off the coast of California and measures 1.6 million square kilometers, or about 1 million square kilometers. It's got to be that they're using kilometers. That's yeah. pretty. That's a pretty healthy size there. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and you broke up, as you said, about twice the size of Texas. Yeah, so hopefully this works. Uh, I mean, the best way to do it is just not put it in the water in the first place, but some of it's going to get there no matter how hard you try not to, so to have some sort of uh, automated type of system collecting it, well, you know, may help. And then in a follow-up of an article that we've covered before, Columbia is halted bidding on excavating a historic shipwreck. This one's in Bogota, Colombia. The excavation of the Spanish ship 
that sank off the coast of Colombia with a trove of silver and gold now worth billions will have to wait a bit longer. Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos announced Monday he's suspending efforts to create a special partnership with a private entity to dig up the shipwreck. Santos says he decided to hand off the project to the president-elect Ivan, I'm going to say it's Dukes, administration amid pending court decisions and public concern over the ship's future. The San Jose Galleon sank in the battle with British ships more than 300 years ago. It was located in 2015, but has been mired in legal and diplomatic disputes. The ship sunk with a treasure of gold, silver, emeralds, and often called the Holy Grail of shipwrecks. That'll be interesting to see what's going on behind the uh, green. Well, in the, yeah, in the like as as I think you're trying to get at, uh, it seems that our friends in Central and South America have a pretty bad bribery situation going on. Not saying it doesn't happen here in the North America, but uh, it seems to be pretty rampant down there. And what I'm guessing is he's starting to get a little pressure from the in incoming administration that they wanted to be able to get the kickbacks and bribes that it shouldn't go to somebody who's already. A lame duck. I wonder if he has to re- refund any money to anybody who uh, had uh, supported him. I don't know. I always like to talk about goals. I'm really curious to see about the Russian one next. Yeah, the, the couple articles that will cover that. Uh, first one was from Smithsonian.com magazine. And kind of how we were a little skeptical last week over the the amounts and quantity and value. Uh, doubts are swirling over claims of the gold-filled Russian shipwreck. It's far from certain that it would have or could have carried such a huge hoard of gold. In 1905, the height of the Russo-Japanese War, the Russian armored cruiser sank off the coast of, uh, what do we call that, Ulungo in South Korean island. For years, rumors had swirled that the Dmitry Donsky, Donsky had uh, the ill-fated ship was unknown and had been carrying a huge trove of gold bars and coins when it went down. South Korean company announced this week they discovered the wreck of the of the vessel and speculated that treasures worth $132 billion are still inside the ship. But as Associated Press reports, historians and financial experts are casting major doubts on these claims. Uh, Chanel Group, a Seoul-based ba- company that was founded just last month, has released photos and video footage of the wreck along with coordinates of the ship's location. The images show markings on the stern of the boat that the company claims spelled the ship's name in Russian. According to the statement by the divers, uh, could also make out cannons, long-distance guns, anchors, three-mast armor, and a wooden deck. One-third of the stern is bombarded and the hull severely damaged, the statement reads. However, the upper deck of the wooden hull is almost untouched. The armor on the side hull is also well-preserved, while the anchors, guns, and machine guns remain in place. Hopefully that didn't bleed on anybody's sound that started to autoplay some video. Following announcements, however, these claims are quickly called into question. For one thing, AP notes the company's estimation of ship's treasures appear to be a huge overvaluation. The Bank of Korea's 104 tons of gold reserves have been valued at about $4.8 billion, making it unlikely that 200 tons of gold would be worth $132 billion. I guess we could have done the math, too. It's also far from certain that the uh, vessel would have or could have carried such a huge hoard. According to Julian Ryle and Marine Gill of the Telegraph, the ship was launched in St. Petersburg in 1883 when the war broke out. It was dispatched to Imperial Russia's 2nd Pacific Squadron to boost the bolster Russia's fleet that had been hit hard in battle. The ship survived the 1905 Battle of uh, Tuzmenia, that's not Tasmania, Tuzmenia, uh, decisive naval loss for Russia, but interpreted 
intercepted on its way to the Russian port of Vladivostok. Uh, 60 of the crew members are killed, another 20 injured. The captain anchored off the island and ordered his men to disembark. The next day, the ship was deliberately sunk, reportedly with a trove of gold still packed in its hold to prevent the Japanese from seizing the treasure. Crew members were subsequently taken prisoner by Japanese landing parties. Despite long-standing rumors of the ship's precious cargo, Russian researchers have said it's unlikely it ever carried tons of gold in the battle. Trains would have been much safer and therefore more probable mode of transportation. It is doubtful that the vessel, which was packed with 1,600 tons of coal, 500 sailors, and more than 12 field artillery pieces, would have had room for so much gold. Even the claim that it is the only entity in the world who's discovered it has been called into question. The government-run Korean Institute Ocean Science and Technology told South Korea media that it successfully located the wreckage in 2003. According to the AP, another Korean company made similar claims about the vessel in the past. It was subsequently accused of lying to raise the stock price and avoid bankruptcy. JL Steel, a company which uh, Sinil recently acquired shares, saw a surge of its stock prices after Sinil announced that it had located the sunken treasure. Sinil had hoped, uh, said it, it hopes to raise the vessel and any treasure within it from the bottom of the sea within a few months. But South Korean officials are warning investors to exercise caution. Investors should be aware, said anonymous official of South Korean Financial Supervisory Service, tells the AP, because it's uncertain whether the ship is salvageable and whether Sunil would be able to gain ownership of the assets, even if he gets permission to raise it. And then the next article is, we may have gone overboard on the shipwreck treasure claim, said Sunil. The incident led Singapore-based Sunil Group to deny any relationship between it and the South Korean company, though the founders are siblings. The South Korean company said it had found a long-lost Russian treasure ship, creating a stock market flurry. Apologized on Thursday, admitted it had not gleaned any riches from the wreck. The startup business, Chanel Group announced last week it had discovered the imperial vessel, uh, the Dmitry Donosky, off South Korea's east coast, saying the ship was believed to contain gold billions worth 130 bullion worth $130 billion. Uh, financial regulators on Wednesday launched an investigation into the firm after news of discovery caused the stock price of Jill Steel, a company in which Nils founder had acquired a large stake to jump fivefold. Critics noted that in 2003, another firm had already sparked the stock bubble by announcing discovery of the vessel, which sank in 2005 in a naval battle against Japan. On Thursday, Sunil said he may have gone overboard on the claims and apologized for the misunderstanding, saying speculation the value of the treasure contained with the ship was based on news reports and unverified documents. We sincerely apologize to the people for this irresponsible citation, said Cho Yong-suk of the uh, firm's CEO, bowing before TV cameras and photographers at a press conference. Jail Steel stock had hit 5,400 won, or about $4.82, but nosedived to about 1000 785 won on Thursday while Chanel replaced its board members and changed its name to Chanel Maritime Technology Co. At the press conference, the company played a brief clip of the underwater footage that appeared to show the ship, which with the word uh, Donosky visible in the hull, but it stopped short of entering the wreck. Observers also questioned whether claims were aimed at funneling investment into a virtual currency that Chanel Group in Singapore originally started to issue. Chow insisted Chanel Group in Singapore had nothing to do with Chanel Group in Korea. Although two companies' founders are siblings and the Chanel Group in Singapore has been selling virtual coins, reportedly with a promise of a handsome return in case treasure is salvaged from the ship. 
He also said that Jill Still is not associated with Schnell, although Schnell's founder had acquired a stake in Jill Still before the discovery of the sunken ship. Experts have said Imperial Russia would have no reason to load vast treasure on the ship that going into battle and have also noted this is a safer land route. Huh. Is this a case they just got caught before they could uh, uh, squeeze everything out of the investors? It sounds like that could have been part of the deal. But then again, when you start talking billions and, and you look at the, the type of vessel, what is the logical reason you'd even do that? You know, you'd spread your money in more than one place. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's just a, a case of a little bit of gold fever. And uh, they need to, They I think they didn't realize how much this would get blown up. I mean, you know, is it a, just a case of exaggeration, hoping to get enough people to invest in it? It's like, did you see the thing on Facebook today? No. $1.9 billion or something. They said, no, it wasn't. $19 billion said he lost. Over, overnight, oh, basically. Oh, I, I see what you're um, saying. The, the evaluations uh, in anticipation of less income coming from blah, blah, blah. It's like, excuse me, that's a lot of coin. Well, and that's the thing with some of these tech companies that have been going on, is that their valuations are are based on earnings so far in the future and that they're going to grow or expand at some exponential rate. So Facebook, uh, you know, anything that, takes that future that they're already betting on and uh, may indicate that it's not going to happen will we'll drive the price down. I, I don't know well, if it was I'm, worth dropping to that extreme, but... Uh, I was looking at the source of information that you notice came from overseas. That was not American companies and did not appear to be an American financial institute that made that, Well, the way I read it. The thing is, if anybody had shorted Facebook on that amount of loss... They just cleaned up if they can get out of their short in time. I mean, it de- depends on what the end date was, but yeah, they, they, they did quite well on that short if they happen to have one. And I understand in principle that shorts are necessary and viable, but the problem I have with shorts is that there's just so much spam in the media and the internet with crap, just hoping to get something to stick. Cause you only, you don't need to move a lot uh, to make some money. And investors are a very flightish group. So uh, in full disclosure, disclosure, I I will frequently look for shorts and I will bet against them by actually buying the stock. But it's only a, I only buy it if it's a stock I, I think that uh, the shorts are wrong and then I'm willing to hold a, a year or two. I'm not smart enough to do that kind of stuff. Uh, that, I call that my play money. You know, that's, uh, you know, it's in an IRA and I've been... You know, knock on wood, lucky enough to, on the instances that I've done it. I, I do have uh, one one position that, and it wasn't necessarily a short at the time, but that Odyssey, I mean, that, that was, that's been a sucky bet for me. It's probably worth about a quarter of what it was when I bought it, but that was uh, that was lunch money, essentially, into that one. Uh, most, most of the things I do is index funds. That's, that's your, your better diversified, other than it's all in the market, typically. Oh. Uh, so yeah, it sounds to me it just I would be investigating that. I hope that they do, and you know maybe there's nothing there, but it uh, kind of is questionable. Or people were taking advantage of the situation, didn't think anybody would notice. Well, I thought it was interesting too. They were talking about not necessarily bitcoins, but yeah. you know, not not tangible money I can put my finger my fingers on, but yeah, a, a, a cyber currency. And yeah. I do believe 
either they were intentionally trying to create confusion by naming them the same, or they were really going to make these companies somehow connected like one would fund the other, but didn't follow the proper procedures for making that to happen. So then they, you know, they're trying to backtrack and cover their butts and say that it never was going to happen. But yeah, I think they may have a hard time selling that story. And then something a little bit closer to home, I don't think they found a whole lot of gold, but there was a treasure hunt, uh, Scuba North posted. This is up where in the uh, Leelanau County in Michigan. Yeah, it's up by, a, I think that's a Traverse City area. More than 30 divers searched for tiny flags beneath the surface of the Grand Traverse Bay. The flags had numbers on them. If I can now scroll past this, browsers are driving me nuts. Add, thank you very much for just blocking everything. Uh, more than 30. Want me to pick up on it? Nah, I, I got it back. Uh, more than 30 divers searched for tiny flags beneath the surface of the Grand Traverse Bay. The flag had numbers on them that corresponded with different prizes. Prizes ranged from small items like water bottles and T-shirts to larger items like new dive equipment technology. Proceeds from the $25 entry fee go to the friends for Easling Pool. Yeah, it's a cool thing to, uh, to find things and go win a nice prize, but most of it's social. Scuba North owner Bob Thorpe said, People are coming out here to hang with like-minded people, and then it's a chance to raise money for a good cause. Thorpe says Scuba North has been organizing scuba treasure hunts for close to 30 years. They had 30 divers? That's not too bad. No, not since they paid 25 bucks a head. When we did the ecology dives, we used to uh, have somebody see it with 10 cans. We had the number painted. Oh. And then based on the number, I what the price. And not every time we did it, we'd find all the cans. And then years passed, you would find, we'd sure to do the colors for each year because years you'd pick up a can and it's like, I got two number five. Which year was that one? <laughs> so we started putting different colors for one year so we could discriminate if you found it next year. Didn't count. So what did you do with the previous year when they, when somebody didn't find the can? Did you just raffle it off or? Well, I mean, not every can was a, was a winner. Oh, I see. I mean, uh, did you ever go to the uh, turkey, turkey dive? After uh, they had little turkeys no. uh, made of wood, and they no. floated them on the bottom. And then those who went out and found the turkeys, you got a turkey plus. And uh, I've got one down in my basement. It's a shark, and it's on the backside of it is Return of the Shark gives you a free airfield card. Ah. Everybody's got some little similar gimmick like uh, It's still a lot of fun to go out there hunting. Yeah, I think it's great. It's a it's a win win for the dive shop. You know, they I liked how they did it for charity. And then they got divers out who, you know, if you're if you're not diving, you're not wearing out the gear, so you need to get uh help encourage to get people in the water. You know, one thing that we yeah. I so, haven't I haven't seen is does anybody do anything in the spring to kind of kick off the dive season? I generally mean, not. I think because it's still cold and depending on where you're at, the thermocline is more for those who don't have the dry. Uh-huh. And a lot of them don't translate to the to the wetsuits until I figure out, hey, people are swimming, so it's got to be summer, like June even. Yeah, yeah, because it, it seems like you always see them later in the season, but that makes sense what you're saying. The people people want to dive, at least the, some of the casual divers, when uh, they can get by in a wetsuit. Well, and you have more people by the end of the summer. Those who are going to dive have already dove, got their gear out, and are more willing to go out someplace to do a treasure Early in the year, it's like, well, I'm just getting used to getting wet again. I was just thinking if you if you bribed people to dive earlier in the year, you've kind of broken the seal on it, and then you get them in the water. 
But yeah, well, if, if I have to pay twenty five dollars first to go diving, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's for a good cause. Deep sea tours of the Titanic are being offered by the Everett Company. I think we've covered this a few different times. Uh, several lucky tourists will be the first to see the wreckage of the Titanic up close. An Everett Company called Ocean Gate is taking applications for mission specialists for six trips to the wreck for a hefty price. Although the Titanic sank over 100 years ago and graced the screen in one of the highest grossing blockbuster films of all time, many years later, it continues to fascinate people to this day. The mission specialists will go down on the Titanic. Ocean Gate's newest commercial vessel with the largest viewport of any deep diving submersible, its first manned expedition shipwreck to the site since 2005. Better at staking nine tourists along per mission, traveling as much as 13,000 feet below. Six missions are currently scheduled, with the first set for June 26, 2019. Uh, some have already paid $105,129 to explore for 11 days, where no ordinary person has gone before. Lucky travelers will be briefed on the mission, including safety drills, emergency procedures. Uh, those recruited are the same customers who are participating in Virgin Galactic's tour of outer space at a hefty price tag of 250000 As of July 26, four of the six missions were already full. These amateur mission specialists will live and work with scientists and other experts throughout the expedition having the opportunity to support underwater vehicle operations in roles like sonar, laser scanning, navigation, communications, camera operations, data logging. Similarly, researchers will, be, will document what happened to the wreck. The Titanic has been considered the clearest view on a ship on record. Oh, the Titan has what will be considered the clearest view of a ship on record. It will capture 4,000 images and videos during the expedition. A couple of months ago, Ocean Gate completed the first rounds of shallow water testing in the Puget Sound and is now in the Bahamas performing deep water tests. Then it is off to the Titanic. All aboard, the Titan will be ready to take passengers to explore the site we're all curious about where less than 300 people have visited. Those waiting to explore the Titanic are encouraged to apply because it makes them more money. Of course, they didn't say that in the article. Well, if you're part of the board, Rich, you know, why not? Oh, yeah. If, you know, if I'm a... I, I think that I think that would be safer to do that than Virgin's first couple of tours until they get a couple, you know, get some history behind them Yeah, for the outer space tours. Let's see. What's the next article we have? Uh, let's see. What, what do we do, by the way? A deep sea tour or, in, or go to outer space? I'm sorry, which one? Outer space or Titanic. Which one would I prefer to do? Yeah, which, which would you roll? Oh, honestly, I think that, uh, I think I'm going to be, I'd be underwhelmed by the Titanic. So even as much as I love scuba diving and underwater, I think I would probably prefer the space one. But it'd be tough. I mean, I they were speaking to me with all the geeky things you get to do because I don't want to be a passenger. I just don't want to be sit here in a seat and watch this. They had the, uh, you know, where you would actually be trained to do something and have that as a responsibility on the vessel. So that that would interest me, you know, being more of an active role. But it could also I be think, fake. <laughs> well, I think I would do the, the Titanic because, one, a longer period of time, you will be working with individuals Hopefully, maybe in a, not necessarily in a training part, but uh, you would be part of a team, or you'd feel like I think I get more out of the Titanic. Yeah, go in the space uh, on the you know most of these right now are just going to be you're you're technically going to be in space, but you're just going to go up and down. These are ten minute rides, uh, but you know the the uh, 
feeling of zero G for a little bit on some of these flights. Yeah, I, I still, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards space, but I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be on the first dozen rides on going to space. That's what I'm saying. And if you want that wait list, you know, you can spend a lot less money and get on the Vomit Comet. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it'd be really neat to get out there and take some pictures. Yeah. I'm really into the. Well, you know, if you're rich enough to do one, why not do both? Yeah, I do the Titanic first, though. <laughs> I, honestly, I think the Titanic is going to be safer. Yeah, I do too. Famous last words, but uh, the, we're we're not doing so much. You know, these are just proven technologies, and as long as they do the proper testing and procedures, they should be good. I and you'd be part of history, though, because then people would come down to see it and you. If, if you didn't make it, yeah. <laughs> you have your name in history books there. I yeah. mean, nobody can see all the guys that walked on the moon. They can tell you. You know, hey, well, you know, Aaron, he lost it on the Titanic, but you can see his body in that big tin can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ho- hopefully he wouldn't die either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's the advantage. I, I wonder if you, do you get a rebate? <laughs> maybe your, uh, well, if, I wonder if they have flight insurance on that. It, but that's an upsell. It's kind of like the, like when you go and buy a TV and then do you want the extended warranty? Would Dan cover you on, on the diving? Oh, up? good question. I don't, I doubt they do. Uh, yeah, it, I would too. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Maybe out of sympathy, they'll fly your body back. But you know, I don't think. Let's see. Which what's the next article that we want to cover? We have three. Aging overweight divers. You you want to do that one next? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, this this article, which I went, yeah, duh. Uh, but it's it's worth being said because we should be reminded. But they say aging overweight scuba divers are at risk of underwater heart attack. Uh, this one's out of the EU, Sophia Antopoulos, which is a location, and, and this was published July 26, 2018. Over, old, overweight scuba divers are being urged to shed pounds to avoid underwater heart attack. The advice is from a large study out of the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology, a publication European Society of Cardiologists, ESC. Cardiac issues are now a leading Factor in Diving Fatalities. The study author, Dr. Peter Buzzacott of the University of West Australia in Crawley, Australia, divers who learned to dive years ago and were now old and overweight with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, are at increased risk of dying. It is the estimated that around 3.3 million Americans and 2.8 million Europeans will scuba dive this year. While recreational diving fatalities are rare, 181 worldwide in 2018, 15, including 35 in Europe, the number of arting cardiac issues is climbing. From 1989 to 2015, the proportion of diving fatalities involving 50 to 59 years olds increased steadily from 15 to 35 percent, while fatalities for over 60 soared from 5 to 20 percent. Cardiac events are now the second leading cause of death behind drowning. They said people who pay to go scuba diving must earn skills and theory and be screened for fitness. But after the initial screening certification, the scuba dive lasts for life. This is where we see an increase in risk, says Dr. Uh, Dr. Buzzacott. It's not commonly new divers who have health problems because they've been recently screened. It's the older divers who have not looked after their health. Until now, there has been no clear picture of how common cardiovascular risk factors are among active divers. Previous research have been limited to survey of dive club members and in, or insured divers. It was the first study conducted among divers in a general population. Researchers used data from the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System, BRFSS, 
a national representative telephone survey of U.S. adults conducted by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. Scuba divers is included in activity from 2011, 2013, 2015 surveys. Three surveys represented 736 million people, of whom around 498 million, 68 percent, have been active in the previous month, or for 113,892 people, or 0.02%, their principal activity was scuba diving. The analysis compared to uh, 113,892 scuba divers with a group of 338,933 active people matched for age, sex, state of residents whose main activity was not scuba diving. The data shows that one-third of scuba divers are age 50 years or older. They're often well-educated, more than half earn at least 75,000 a year, and most are married with children. Significantly greater proportion of divers, 54%, had smoked cigarettes at some point, compared with non-divers, 46, but more divers had given up smoking, 40% versus 26%. Divers were more frequently overweight, 48% versus 43, but had a lower mean body mass index than non-divers, 26 versus 27. One-third of divers, 33%, have been diagnosed with high blood pressure, and 30% had high cholesterol levels that were not statistically different from the comparison group. Uh, quote is, I gave up smoking because of scuba diving, and I know it's a relatively common from conversations I've had in dive boats with other divers, uh, said Dr. Buzzacott. My personal advice to all smokers is give it up smoking and take up diving. It's not only better for you, it's more fun, it's cheaper. Dr. Buzzacott advised all divers have routine fitness assessment with their doctor and tackle risk factors that otherwise could lead to fatal cardiac event while diving. He noted never before in the history have so many people been exposing themselves to these extraordinary environmental stresses. And for the first time ever, we now have a large number of people who spent their entire lives regularly scuba diving. He said, none of us are as young as we once were. It's important that we stay in shape for diving. Father Scuba Jacques Cousteau was diving at 90 and the current world's oldest diver is 94. He looks like he's in great shape, and that's a role model for us if we all keep diving into our senior years. I certainly do. Early on, they had one thing I wanted to comment on, and and maybe they, they were trying to get to it, but if your diving population ages and your fatalities re- remain the same, wouldn't the fatalities spread as an increase to older population, just statistically? If they're talking medical, you mean? Well, just anything, just ignore what the cause was and just say that in general, if you've got a rate and say it was spread across all age groups, as the population increases, the the proportion would start getting spread to the older groups just because the older groups are growing in size. And you think their incident of uh, accidents or fatalities other than overweightness should go up also? No, I, I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm just talking at the, at the general. They're just making one thing about the statistics. And I said, well, those statistics on their own weren't weren't saying anything. They were just, they, that was almost like it's a background. Uh, no, I certainly believe that because if on the surface you're going to increase your risk by, you know, age, pressure, heart, heart condition, cholesterol, blood pressure, then that would correspond to being underwater. So I, I'm not... I'm not disputing that, you know what, drop some weight, make sure you're in control, get your physicals, uh, because it's, it's you're ultimately responsible for yourself, which I think is at the point of what they're getting to. I was just questioning those statistics as, you know, if I have if I have a group and it was 10% over 60 before and now 20% are over 60 and you say that the number of over 60 dying increased, I'm saying, well, yeah, because you've got, 
you've got more of them. Yeah, I heard that the older you get, you know, then eventually you die when you get real, 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 real old. Yeah. As opposed to hopefully when you're young, it, that's not a good. Yeah. Uh, I was. I'm also believing that even though they may be older, they're they may be wiser than young divers and or newly certified older people. Is right. if you've been doing it for years. As I get older, I don't do quite the same items, and I understand the stress point in many areas that I won't go do anymore because I know I just don't have the physical stamina to to uh, help myself out in an emergency in very swift water. Yeah. Well, I know when I was less than fifty dives, I I would hate for a dive to be scrubbed. You know, you know, you're you're renting gear, you're doing all this preparation. A dive was pretty expensive when I first got started. Because I didn't have everything, you know, I'm I'm renting it. I'm taking time off. Uh, you know, maybe I bought. I'm you know, each time I'm going out to dive, I'm buying a new piece of gear. So it was just you know, that was significant. You, you you just hated to scrub it. Well, as you get older, you're like, yeah, you know, for any little reason, it's like you know, we can. You know, it's not worth it. We can come back and do it again another day. And I hope so. It's like in flying. Uh, the item for people dying at whatever age is they run out of gas. The second item is called come home or go home-itis. You feel like you need to get there, and you'll go when the weather is not really good for it. Oh. And you wind up doing an IMC or something. Yeah, it's running out of gas is number one for GA, general aviation, which really amazes me. But, again, it's always anytime you hear yourself saying, I'm pretty sure I can make it. It's like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can make it. You, you need to listen to what you just said. You know, you don't do that, but obviously people do. Well, you say that, it's almost the same as air. Well, it's like you go there, they fill it up for you, and you get in your plane, you look at the gauges. The gauges only have to be accurate when they're empty. Believe it or not, it sounds a little weird, but that's true. But, you know, if you don't dip your own tanks, you don't really know what you got in your, in your system. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think we're out of the stage for our diving. I mean, we haven't hit the river yet because it's still too fast. And it's still lousy, visibility-wise. Yeah. And fast current, lousy vis, snags strainers, it's just not worth it, even if there's tons of bottles or even gold. Nobody's diving. I mean, case in point, you know, we had a fatality last week, uh, you know, at the go for the float off of Jasper Dairy. Yeah. Remember, I think I mentioned the last week. No, there was there, there, there's a fatality with that? Yeah, Marybeth, I think, went with that. A couple of other people from the dive club went. Um, one of their most experienced kayakers drowned, and they didn't realize it until later that he was missing. And they, they found them the other night, our fishermen's did, you know, 600 yards down from where they started. Oh. No vest. Oh, goodness. Yeah. You know, simple item like that may have been the difference. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't, uh, I mean, I hate to even speculate, especially being so local, but, uh, you know, the, the, the vest at least gives you a chance. There's so many conditions that can happen that uh, you may be able to survive. You can at least keep your head above water. Number one is cold immersion. They have the proven that, you know, if you're going to be dead, be found drowned floating as, a, you know, as opposed to 130 feet down. You've got a chance to rescue somebody. Uh, hypothermic, you know, if, if you get into the water in Lake Michigan, you're going to be disabled in a very, very short period. Of, well, and then you're going to drown. If you've got your float on, you may be disabled, but the flotation's keeping your hand out of the water. Yeah. So you've got a chance of somebody get you within that magic hour uh, of still living. That personal flotation, I mean, it's, it sounds so simple, but I don't get in a kayak without it. Yeah. You know, or if I have a full wetsuit, maybe I don't then, but I got a full wet. Yeah, the wetsuit's going to keep you buoyant. 
not a substitute for life jacket people, but it, uh, from a, a diving standpoint, you're, if you're, as long as you're not weighted, you're going to float. Well, did you want to cover the, these last two? Uh, the dive magazine? Yeah. Was there, was oh, there... that's one I sent you there. Yeah, you, you, you sent me a couple of them, and I, I read them, and they're, they're, they're interesting articles, so I didn't know where you wanted to fit those in. If nothing else, we should at least give them the links. I'm sure people who are interested have looked at a lot of different links. Yeah. What I have not seen is a lot of good still photos of what went on. I like this one here, the success for the Epic Cave mission. Mm-hmm. This one picture shows you tremendous. I mean, the picture itself, you can't visualize it without looking at this kind of picture. No. You can see how large the open end, how big the cavern is, and how shallow the water is where they're. And then you can just envision as the people progressed when it was not wet. Right. Looking at the side view. And you can see why that would be fun to do. It's not really you know, dangerous. Well, it, it looks huge. I mean, it looks giant. It, it's Until uh, the flood. Right. So you could see, especially if you've been in many times, it just sounded like they had. You know, I could see putting on some gear. You're going to do it for just a few hours. You go in, you run in, you run out. You know, you had a, you had a fun day. Uh, and then they do show a profile of the cave. Uh, so there was yeah, a... The nasty part is what really got everybody's attention. Yeah, the the, the goes the, down to the left and narrows down real good. Yeah, but I'd like to see some good video of that. I really haven't. Have you? No, I haven't seen any. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to uh, a lot. They're they're going to do a movie. You know that's coming. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and I'm thinking that once the season's over and there's access back to the the caverns, you're going to see people just on their own videotape and post it on YouTube. So we'll see something here in the next six months uh, that should document it. And the second item that I really like, because the picture sort of looks like St. Joe River as it goes through Niles. I, I thought the, the same. same yeah, I thought the same thing. You got the, the train bridge and just how the trees overgrow the banks. And it's a very nice article called Going with the Flow River Diving. I think the part I liked is, let's go back to the bottom. Why river dive? Why river dive? Because it's there. Local river may give you the opportunity to dive more frequently. Because of the changing nature of the river, you can dive the same location a number of times and have a different experience. Many river dives are done from the shore. You do plan your dive, select where you will you know, finish, determine the current, factor in the projected dive time, and determine where to start, leave your car at the finish, and you know, drive to your starting point and drift back. The options will be determined by your dive conditions in the rivers, but it opens up many possibilities for many divers who are otherwise limited. And that's exactly what we do. You can drift dive. Tremendous amount of fun, isn't it? Oh, drift diving, I think, is is better than going back to the same point. I I like to drift dive because you find new stuff, but you can't hang around because you're going to run out of air, and then you're going to be drift diving on the surface the rest of the way back. That's the biggest drawback. Yeah. And you don't drift dive with a full face mask. Unless you carry an extra mask, because if you do run out of air, because you got really, you find stuff, you keep looking, and you run out of air. Yeah. So a little hard to use a snorkel with a full face. Yes. <laughs> as people have learned with our group. But it was a real good article. Yeah, I like it. Uh, some nice pictures in there, and it feels real local. That one is from uh, deeperblue.com. They had that full article. So go take a look at it and read up on it. Because they talk about the river drift dives, which are great. Uh talk about additional equipment you might want to have and then talk about the river cleanup and treasure hunt which we've got scheduled for september 22nd as a side note yeah so if you're going to be in the midwest area specifically southwest michigan uh, we'll have a 
dive you could participate in. Yep, September the 22nd. It's in Niles, Michigan. Be there or be square or dry. Yeah, we can also use shore support, so you don't feel like getting in the oh, river. Oh, absolutely. Always shore support. And I don't remember the last one that I told you about. That Florida family finds one million of sunken Spanish treasure. Did we, we cover that years ago? We we did. We we actually did cover that one, so I, I didn't paste it. But uh, I've got it in the show notes, so if you want to follow along. But that that was that uh, family. And if I remember correctly, because I haven't read it this time, that that wasn't their first time finding gold either. Yeah, but they recovered at this one 51 gold coins and 40 feet of ornate gold chain. Was now, that, that would be nice. Was that the one where they also found the pendant? Uh, uh, sure, didn't. I, I'm just looking at what they had recovered. I don't I don't see where they reference a pendant on this one here. That's fine. I just was trying to remember. I mean, we've covered so many of these over the years. I mean, it's, it seems hard to believe, but there are. There is still some gold out there that people are finding. Yep, and these guys out there with uh, metal detectors. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, looking in the mud. He was he was looking for stuff. It's out there somewhere. Yep. And if you don't look, you don't find it. Yeah, that's it. And if you enjoy diving and you enjoy spending the time out there, why not? Well, well that does it for Scuba in the News. Uh, let's see, did uh, you have a safety article or anything you wanted to cover? Or? Well, I had an, an interesting one I had read I thought was interesting. I got to move myself over a little bit and probably uh, The title of this is called A Mile to Malpilo, uh, A Diver's Fight for Survival After Being Left at Sea. And I'm always interested in when this happens is why did some people die? Why did some people live? So maybe I can put that in my little box there. And if I ever have this emergency, then maybe I can learn something from this and use it. Uh, this place, by the way, is a coastal seaport off of Columbia in South America. The island, when I talk about the island, it's Malapelo, I believe. It's located 310 miles from the Colombian mainland. It's way the hell out there. It's basically uninhabited. It's got a, a small military force on it of a couple of people. It's sheer barren rock, high peak, being 980 feet high. The island's only a mile in length and 700 yards in width. Which basically, if you're 300 miles from shore, that's the only thing in the area. Yeah, you know, you miss it, you're screwed. At least I starts out as the red flags appeared soon as Peter Morris arrived in Colombia from Australia. The town is the meeting point for boats leaving for the island of Malpelo, and I'm going to call it Island from now on. A rocky outpost, 320 miles off the coast of Colombia, is known for schooling hammerhead shark. Morris had traveled all night by bus to catch the motor vessel Maria Patrick, and his first interaction with the, cl- was with the crew was watching them hoist his dry bags into a truck bed filled with a few inches of rainfall from an afternoon shower. He wasn't really happy. But he traveled so far, he literally asked himself, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> the concern diminished slightly when he met the dive leader, Carlos Jimenez, who came across as extremely professional, humble, and knowledgeable. It was during the last dive of the last day of the trip when disaster the dive started at 3.30 p.m., and even as the group entered the water, Jamez was shivering. Now, Morris learned after the incident that Jamez had been fixing a mooring deeper than 150 foot earlier that day. Had he known at the time, Morris said that he would have questioned Jamez about the risk of decompression sick. But on that day, it was the only possible to observe that Jamez was exhausted. The group Morris had been diving with included Morale, Rodriguez, and Diaz, or Vanessa, a lady diver. 
and they all had a lot of faith in Jemez. So they followed him even as he switched up the dive plan. After they got into the Zodiac, Jemez deviated from the plan site on a particular reef and elected instead dive at the cathedral, different area. Whether that was communicated to the dive boat, Morris will never know. What Morris realized immediately was that on that day, their currents were really, really strong. At 3.30 p.m., after a 20-minute encounter with Silky Shark, Jemez shot to the 15-foot line, signaled it was time for the safety stop, which the group performed. As they did, they drifted. Around 4 p.m., they came to the surface about 30 minutes earlier than the Zodiac was expecting. All the while, they could see the boat 900 feet away. Nobody was on the deck. During knowing they had time before, you know, to kill before the Zodiac was scheduled to pick, Diaz and Morris dropped back down to spend a little more time watching the sharks while the others signaled the boat with their surface marker buoy. Ten minutes more passed than Diaz and Morris also surfaced. This time, Morris turned his head. The boat had become a speck on the horizon. The current was taking them further out to sea and quickly. In that moment, Morris realized he had a problem. There was nothing else on the horizon save for the island. There's been the only boat in the water that day. Suddenly, Morris's mind became very clear. Instinctively, he went into the decision-making mode. We need to start swimming closer. Jimenez had a different plan and told the group, no, we need to stay together and conserve energy. Morris told Jimenez he would swim to the Maria Patricia, the boat, and alert the crew to the group's position, and he left. Initially, Morales tried to swim along alongside, is what it said, but he couldn't keep up. The current was that strong. Morris kept tracking and swimming at a 45-degree angle to the current. He changed strokes, but mainly he faced the water, kicked as hard as he could, using the island as a landmark. He could tell he was making progress, but going, was going much slower than he had expected. Still, he was confident he could reach the board. To stay motivated, Morris pictured what he would do when he got to the boat, take a shower, have a beer, but he also made backup. He knew there was a ladder and radio on the island. Around 6.30, darkness began to fall. The lone swimmer was roughly a, roughly a mile from the island, and fear started to take hold as he thought about the fact that once all light disappeared, he wouldn't be able to see land and stay on course. As it became night, there was no starlight, no moon. Only clouds looked down from overhead. He couldn't imagine worse conditions as he bobbed in 13-foot swells. But suddenly, every 15 seconds, he saw a ray of hope. A tiny lighthouse on the rock beamed a signal, which could be seen from certain angles. Panic started to trickle in, but he knew if he did and let it in, he would not survive. So he forced it from his head, put his regulator in his mouth, and started performing a full-on crawl stroke, wearing all his dive. He went as hard as he could until his tank emptied, then he ditched along with all the weight, kept his BC, and kept 7.30, he watches the boat move north to the current, further from him and where he last saw the others drifting south. Zodiac had never been sent in their direction. At this point, the night had gone so black he saw nothing, but he could hear the waves now crashing against rock. So he changed his plan, decided to aim for the ladder, try to get on land. At 9 p.m., he reached the spot where he'd seen the ladder prior to this time. He reached it only to find the ladder had been pulled up by the lone military member and park ranger station. His stomach was heavy with dread because the island had sheer cliffs on all sides and he hadn't seen any other way up the rock. He didn't have it in him to swim all night against the current. This is where it first sank in that he might die at sea alone, but he wasn't ready to give up. Spent the next few hours swimming and attempting to climb up anything that looked like it might have a purchase. The cliffs ripped his thighs, his palms of his hands, and as indicated in the interview with him, he still had the scars, but he didn't yield the, you know, but in, in, in trying to get up on the sheer cliffs, he still couldn't get a foothold. 
By 3 a.m. in the morning, he said the left part of his body was numb, wet suit was shredded. He could not stop bleeding from his hands and legs, and he had some friends. The shark around. Still, he swam, kicking his fins. He had not ditched his BC. He knew he had to keep it on because he was exhausted. Then he finally found out a break, legend of rock, just wide enough for his feet so he could get up out of the water, stand, and wait. But he knew he couldn't sleep, and he was too cold. Mouth was cake with salt from all the seawater. He must have drifted off because just after dawn, the hum of an engine roused him. Frantically, what energy he had left, he yelled and waved, but all the passengers on the boat only waved back at him which made him wonder if he was hallucinating. It was real. He couldn't miss the chance of rescue because there was nothing else around. So he leaped from the rock, swam once more towards the boat. Fortunately, seeing this, Sten Johnson Johansson of the MV Yamaya deployed a Zodiac and rescued more. It was 16 hours since his ordeal had begun on the day, the afternoon, the day before, as he told the media, uh, the media outlets later. They saved my life by being there. Johansson alerted authorities then went out to where he told them the other divers were. They scooped up two Colombian divers, Morales and Rodriguez, who were both alive 48 hours later. They had survived in the open ocean for being rescued by the Colombian naval ship, the Punta Ata, 39 miles from the island. Wow. Later, Morales and Rodriguez told how they had urinated on each other to keep themselves warm, tying themselves together to keep from being separated, being in a curled-up position together and be encircled by the shark. Portuguese man of war assaulted the bodies, and they all had painful. After an intensive uh, search, Diaz's body was found one week later, 140 miles from the island, and the dive leader, Jamez, his body was never found. So what are the lessons to Lee learned from that? Did they ever say what happened to the dive boat? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, four. I thought, yeah, I don't remember if we had four more divers or not. Oh, well. I, I just don't understand that. And it didn't give me a lot more details, but this was uh, November 2017. Yeah, recent. But, I mean, they did everything right, it seems like. They had their surface buoys, you know. Uh, I'm very curious. Nobody was on deck 900 feet away when they started it all. It, it, the more I see this, it's almost like when you go traveling, you almost need to bring your own surface support for the boat. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have a, a non diver go with you out in the boat. And you you tell them, hey, you know, you watch out for me. And while everybody goes down and plays cards or has a drink, I don't know what they were doing. They there's somebody who's watching. Boy, you sure wish you'd have had one of those little emergency phones with you now. Yeah, you know the marine oh, phones yes. that you would keep. I mean, could have made a. I mean, would have made a difference. Yeah, could you imagine how much you spent on the trip to get there? Yeah, I'm, so I'll spend two hundred bucks on the emergency phone. <laughs> yes. You know, I bet you you could get free beers from that if you're in a group of four people and you're floating out there and you go. You know, this is fun, guys, but I think I'm going to call in a plane and then you flip the top off. I think when you get back to land, they'll they'll buy you a drink. Yeah, yeah. And you could probably parlay it drinks for life. Yes. Wow. But it's still interesting. I mean, key item is he did not give up. The other two people obviously did not give up. Uh, they never really gave details of how they got separated since initially they were tied together. Well, didn't, didn't he decide to go on his own? Yes, he was going to go to the boat because he was a good swimmer. Yeah. And he kept going, but the current was faster than anticipated. And then when the boat hauled up anchor, went the wrong direction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you also think, I'm thinking, you know, do you need a flare gun too? I mean, because <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about <laughs> safety sausage, the but they got to look for the sausage. <laughs> yeah, shoot the boat, let it get on fire. Maybe somebody will <laughs> yeah. see the satellite. Yeah, the, the, the flaming boat. 
<laughs> I'm sure he wished he had done that uh, when it when it drove away. But it makes me think, you know, what would you have done? What would you have done? Because we've already heard about oh. several instances similar to this. And even even if you survive, you know, what I, you know, I, I don't six hours. What is doing to your body? Yeah, I I don't think I'd have been the one swimming after the boat because I I I know that trick. It's you know the the swim of shame that we do in different spots is enough to cure me of any long distance. I mean, for survival, yeah, you would. You know, like on Lake Michigan, if for some reason the boat you're in went down and you have nothing to hold on to, so you're just a free floating in the water, then you know I would I would kick my way to shore. But you've you you can't you got to have some energy left. That's a lot of its will. Key item: get rid of the freaking tank, get rid of the weight. Mm-hmm. Big one, and it's like like Michigan. I mean, storms kick up tremendously. Yeah. You know, even when thirteen foot waves and swells, if you got a good flotation, go with the flow because it's going to carry you to shore. Yeah, and we yeah. don't got no shark. Yeah, that, that was just going to say we don't have to the shark thing. We don't have to worry about the cold is what will kill you out here. Yeah, but again, always think of it if you go on these boat tours. You know what happens if. Are you prepared to save yourself? Yeah. And like that that we keep saying, you can call a dive. If you're not feel, uh, comfortable with the professionalism of a dive operator, you can just cancel it. You, know, you might not get your money back, but you'll have the peace of mind. You, you'll be on shore tonight bitching about it. Yeah. Yeah, you can leave that Yelp review. Absolutely. But, you know, if you're in that situation, what do you do? And think of it before you get in there. What, what do you have available? What can you take with you to help? minimize the chances of that kind of disaster. And the only thing I can think of right now for that would have been one of those personal locator beacons. Yeah. It gives you a GPS marking. This is where I am. Come get me, please. Yeah. That, that certainly, certainly would have improved your odds. It would have saved them, you know, at least 10, 12 hours extra in the water. Yeah. Well, I see a lot of people are getting out there and doing some diving. Uh, Kevin had some side scan earlier today that he posted. Yep. And I recognize the, Cedarville, roll easy. Yeah. Look for the boat cracked in the middle with the, uh, you know, upside down. So I thought, oh, yeah, I've been on that one. But he's sure getting a lot of diving in the last. Wow. Uh, the guys, I think, went out last night to Lake Cora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Wednesday dive. I've not heard any anything on that yet. Well, they went there because it's uh, uh, the SAS dive for the Wednesday. Was yep. Further away. That's a good close. Yeah, there's a lot of them where it's not practical for us down here to right. drive it's all the way. In, more in the Battle Creek area. Yeah, that was splitting the difference. No, they're fine. So yeah. I don't know. I thought I saw some stuff about people getting ready for this weekend. It's supposed to be half decent. Yeah, the the weather's kind of nice. We have, uh, the wind's been pretty brisk, it seems like, the last week or so. So Yeah. But other than that, key item for us is we have the uh, club picnic on the 11th in Niles. August 11th. And have, yep, and we have established the... Uh, Ecology Dive, that will also be in Niles on the 22nd of September. And we'll be putting out flyers and stuff for that uh, probably early September, if not before. Well, that's good. Um, let me see. Is there anything else that we have to cover? Any any plugs you want to make? You, you talked about the, the club dives. Yeah, that's the major item I, I have on my calendar myself. Yeah. Well, I've got the youth fair coming up here. Now, we're still three weeks off, but that'll be another week where we'll not be posting up a show. Do you have a date for that? I'll mark that on my calendar, even as we speak. Oh, uh, August? <laughs> Some, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look. That's what I don't remember. 
Uh, let me see if I can pull it up on my calendar. I know this is Oshkosh week, if you like. Yeah, so you're talking about the uh, experimental aircraft meetup? Yeah, it's the big one where you have about 100,000 people and 50,000 airplanes. Yeah, that's not just experimental. That's one of those I want to go to at some point. I just haven't. haven't if you, when you go, don't try to do everything in one day and don't do just a day. You can't do it just. I mean, I go, I like to look at, I'm, I like military. I go over and I take pictures of the Mustangs, for example, and I do the nose art. Then I go find all the bombers and I do the nose art. I like to take the pictures of those. Uh, if you had the money, they actually, uh, they've got two B-29s that are now flying and, uh, they actually have one certified to take passengers. I mean, where do you get to fly in a B-29? Uh, you got to be a little aviation. I care about that, but I do. Yeah. But, you know, that's a thousand bucks. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, uh, but still uh, uh, cheaper than going to visit the Titanic. Yes. And for an aviation person, that's quite unique. I mean, who can say they went unless you're a World War II guy? There's not a lot of those guys around. It. No. Uh, the, the, it's Thursday, August 16th will be a bye week for us as well. August 16th? The 16th, August. Okay, are you ready for that time of the show? Yep, I'm going to put my chair back, put my feet out, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. A scuba diving couple was celebrating their golden wedding anniversary on the beaches of Jamaica. Their domestic tranquility had long been talk of the town. People would say, what a peaceful and loving couple. The local newspaper reporter was inquiring as to the secret of their long and happy marriage. The husband replied, well, it dates back to our honeymoon in America, explains the man. We visited the Grand Canyon in Arizona. We went down to the bottom of the canyon by horse. We hadn't gone too far when my wife's horse stumbled and she almost fell off. My wife looked down at the horse and said quietly, that's once. We proceeded a little further and the horse stumbled again. My wife quietly said, now that's twice. We hadn't gone a half mile when the horse stumbled for a third time. My wife quietly removed a revolver from her purse and shot the horse dead. I shouted at her, what's wrong with you, woman? Why did you shoot a poor animal like that? Are you crazy? She looked at me and quietly said, that's once. From that moment on, we have lived happily ever after. There's a lot of wisdom in that, but by the same token. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of angles there. <laughs> it, it's funny, I mean, in a way, when you talk jokes, you know, that is funny, but by the same token, in the vein of domestic violence, it's not funny. And unfortunately, no. we hear but a good bit of it. Yeah, yeah. But the way it was intended, I think, is that's true. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we won't throw our regular joke writer under the bus so (laughs) (laughs) until next time uh, go out there and get wet and stay safe You know, since you brought it up of uh, people spending their own money or not their own money, uh, there I was reading an article on a law that's being passed out in California, and it's at the local level, which is preventing companies 
from offering free food to their employees. And where Because why? Well, it's these large companies such as Google who are providing free meals to their employees as perks to get them to sign on and also encourages them to, you know, kind of maybe not be out of the office as long. You know, these are a lot of high demand salary positions. So if you provide somebody food and they go from their office desk, they go down, have a great meal, come back to their office, continue working, you know, they're not getting a car, driving around, doing all sorts of stuff. And so all the uh, local people in town who have restaurants are complaining that that's not fair and it's hurting their business. So the local councils, in many cases, have passed laws that any future companies coming in are not allowed to offer these free meals or have cafeterias. And stuff like this just makes me glad I'm not out there, guys. I'm sorry if you're if you're out there in California. But oh, what about Seattle? Uh, I'm sure Seattle's doing the same put, thing. They, no, no, they wanted to put a tag on the people. Oh yeah, who come to work for uh, what is it? Amazon. Yeah. Well, I I I don't know if you've noticed, but they they've backed away from that. Uh, I I heard that they. Uh, you know, less than a few weeks into that program, they, they caved under the pressure to remove it because you know, a lot of these companies, especially Amazon, uh, were looking for other locations already just because they, they've reached the capacity of these cities. You know, San Francisco, a lot of the locals who aren't working at these high-tech companies are upset because property values have gone up crazy and, and, and you know, you got parking. It's just the infrastructure there isn't to support it. And you would think these tech companies where you're building technology lets you do anything from anywhere, but somehow they've decided that everybody's got to be in an area. And I know a lot of that comes from the synergy of similar businesses being in the same spot. Uh, you know, cause we do the same thing in Michigan between automation here in this side of the state or tool and die or die casting. You see these industries where the competition will grow out either from the other companies or because you've already got the talent in the area, but they've just, oversaturated some of these markets and i just can't can't help but feel some someday in the future some of these places are going to be begging for these companies to come there because uh, and i'm and apologize you probably fast forward about six minutes if you don't want to hear us talking about this and, I, and and this is i don't think this is really me having a political view for one party or the other it's just i think that some of the stuff is wrong uh you've you've got these uh and now, now I've lost my my train of thought a little bit, uh, but it's, it's you know I think I think they're going to come back in a day and and wish these these companies would stay there because it uh, oh I know what I was I was getting at uh, it, like in the case of food if my employer buys me lunch that's more money I have to go out later and spend at least that's how I look at it. Well, the employers had to get the food from someplace, so somebody's making the money. You know well, you, you've got caterers and people, but now, now there's a whole other thing. If you've if you watch the uh, there's discussions on the red badges and the white badges. Have you heard about that? I haven't. No. Uh, well, what it is is that. like if I if if you work at Google and you're a full time employee, you get this white badge, and you know you get the free meals. Well, you've got a lot of people who are contractors and they have red badges and they don't get the perks, and and that's a, not yeah, a because they're contractors, right? But they're saying that the contracting positions are all the, it's a class system, that it's the, the lower level people who are the red badges. But it's also the type of things where, where Google is making its money. If you look at that, it, they are making their money on one of their measurements I saw early on. I don't know if they're still breaking it out, but is the revenue per employee. 
And at one point in time, it was like 10 times what anybody else was doing. And the way they're doing that is through automation. So the red badges in many cases, I mean, part of it is to inflate stock prices because of how accounting works. But the other thing, and the real reason why you, you need to have a contracting type of system is that there's certain tasks that they're performing that they're going to automate and go away. So you don't bring on full-time people to then go in two years, just let them go because you've automated that. Uh, one example is that Google's gotten heat for screening videos. So they've got part of it's done with computers and part of it's done with people. And you have to have those people, but they're, they're not going to maintain that. You know, they'll either change who can upload videos or they'll automate it because they, they can't sustain paying people to watch videos. But, you know, I apologize to everybody who didn't want to hear that, but they just thought a, a good opportunity to, to go and cover that. Contractors, there's benefits to being full-time or contractor. I was a contractor for many years after I retired. I got paid more than my counterpart, but I didn't have insurance. And there, you know, there's advantages for both. So if you want to be a contractor, be one. If you want to be full-time, be that. There Again, plus and minus. What suits your lifestyle and where you're at in life and earning yeah. and living, I think. Yeah, I, I expect that my next career, should I leave where I'm at now, is probably going to be contractor or self-employed. There's, I don't see myself going to work for another corporation. You know, be, partially because I'm, I'm getting that age where companies go, what? You know, they can't discriminate on age, but, you know, if you're if you're over 45 years old, they give you the stink eye. There's always Walmart. I've been there, done that. <laughs> Welcome to Walmart. At least, at least I, uh, you know, I, I might even have uh, the vest, you know, and those vests are pretty, you, know, they, you can, they're pretty forgiving. 